Today's episode of Art of the Cut is sponsored by ncrawl.com. ncrawl is the web-based platform for managing and rendering end credits, used by over 1,000 film productions, including 42 films at this year's Sundance 2020 Film Festival. Sign up today at ncrawl.com slash AOTC. Hello, and welcome to Art of the Cuts, Voices from Sundance. My name is Steve Hallfish. I'm a film editor, and I interview my colleagues in film and TV. Today's Voices from Sundance is Benjamin Moses Smith. His feature credits include the web series Feast of Burden, the feature films Two-Step, A Wonderful Cloud, and Wobble Palace. Smith is the editor of the comedy thriller Spree, which is a 2020 Sundance film selection. The film stars Joe Keery, who is probably best known as Steve Harrington from Stranger Things. Tell me a little bit about Spree. First of all, just give us a little synopsis about what it's about. Well, it's, um, it's about a guy who really wants to get attention on the internet. He wants social media fame, and uh, he's been trying for a long time. He's been doing a lot of reviews and... Um, you know, other kinds of videos, but he's not getting any attention. And so he decides that the way he can get attention is to murder a bunch of people in his rideshare. Let's start with your relationship with the director. How did you get this gig or um, how do you guys know each other? Well, we've been working together for a long time. Uh, I met him when I first moved to Los Angeles in 2012 and we did a web series together called Feast of Burden. And it was this really wild kind of arty series about a dinner party where everybody gets trapped in the house and it was a really fun project and uh, Eugene was just so um, energetic and he just you know he wanted to do anything to make this series work his passion was like incredible still is and uh, you know we just kind of clicked like I think our sensibilities kind of both align and oppose each other in really good ways so we kind of we're like good checks on each other and we have a certain kind of demented sensibility that we share. I'm really interested in that um, kind of thing that draws people together collaboratively. So it's really intriguing for me to hear you say that you are both uh, kind of joined and opposed about certain things. What are some of those things that are the same and different about you creatively? Well, I think we both um, are extremely neurotic about getting it right we kind of share a language we talk about the decisions we're making in kind of a similar way but you know I think sometimes I'm much more concerned about things sort of being clear here and here and here and um, Eugene has is much more free of that I think often like he's very right and I'm just too sort of tight about things um, but you know sometimes he's too loose so that's like a nice check on each other and I think we have sort of similar senses of humor but also very different senses of humor and um, he has a way of being a little indulgent about his humor sometimes and I think I am a good check on that for him. I'm really intrigued that you were honest about the fact that you know maybe you're a little too tight and he's a little too loose and and you need to you know understand where he's coming from there, that's part of what i think of as the subversion of ego for an editor a lot of editors i think you have to have enough ego that you that you are like i have something to say but you also have to be able to go i'm not necessarily right yeah yeah i mean it's a it's a difficult thing and um 
you know, it's definitely, it's a source of conflict, I think, in every editor-director relationship that I have, that anybody has, I guess. And certainly it's a thing I struggle with, I think, is like keeping my ego in check enough, um, in the edit room anyway. I think I've gotten better at that. And, you know, ultimately I know I'm always serving with the director once. And I mean, especially in the case of Eugene, like, he knows what he wants. And, uh... He's very passionate about it. And, you know, we just, we have a lot of arguments about what the right way to approach it is. You know, we just, we're very thorough about what it is we're trying to do. Um, and how are you thorough? Is it a discussion? Discussion, yeah, yeah. I mean, we spend a lot of time in our sessions just kind of talking through everything we're, we're trying to do. But yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it's a difficult thing because Some, sometimes you do need to sort of, step back and just say all right you know what like let's just let's just do this but you know we have sort of a way i think sometimes we'll be arguing about one thing in a certain way and finally eugene will bring me around to his side or whatever and then immediately he'll sort of switch and start arguing it <laughs> from my side he'll be like well wait maybe you were right about this stuff like um so we i do think we sometimes tend to circle the wagon maybe a little bit too much but uh i think it has paid off you know we're very thorough, for sure. With a dark kind of comedy like this, um, talk to me about how you guys balance the tone of the movie, not to go too dark or not to go too funny or whatever it is, and, and how those discussions between the two of you about tone played out. Well, it's, I mean, this movie is, I think, very difficult in that respect. I mean, Eugene loves to clash tones and... Um, that's one of his favorite things. And, you know, I, I do too. Um, and I think that's one of the things we're really into uh, together. But um, I don't know. This movie, it was hard. It took a lot of experimenting to find the right, um, the right way to handle it. But, you know, usually I think um, the answer that we come up with tends to be just a kind of blast through it like that every Eugene likes to be elevated um and everything in this movie is very heightened um you know it's almost like hyper real or something and it was I mean Kurt the main character is a really uh tricky person to be basing a movie on and Joe Curie who plays him is just unbelievable I mean he gave us so much um and we had we had in some cases you know 100 takes because you know he was he was in this car driving around sometimes it was like okay well we've done 10 takes but it's going to take us another 15 minutes to get to the next stopping point so why not do 25 more you know um so and he just kept giving uh and so it was it was difficult. It took a lot of experimenting, and he's he's a very oblivious guy, Kurt. And um, it was important to Eugene that he maintained obliviousness, I think, throughout the movie. And that was sometimes tricky because sometimes you it, it felt like he should be more ruthless or violent or something, and sometimes it felt like maybe he should be a little more emotional, like within the scene or something, but... You know, Eugene kept us focused on his total lack of awareness and total obliviousness and kind of just cluelessness. Um, 
And that proved to be the right way to handle it, I think. Seems like the right attitude for social media. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like a guy who's just has nothing except nothing to give except what he like he is only focused on what attention he's going to get back. Uh, he has no actual perspective to offer the world, really. He's just, um, he's he's a receiver, but he's trying to be a sender or something like that. I don't know if that makes sense. But You mentioned uh, experimentation with tone and how it took a lot of experimentation. What were some of those experimentations? Was it, hey, we have to change the take, or was it change content? Well, sure, or? sure, we definitely changed his... I mean, working on his performance was was a big part of it, and refining it, and sort of um, making sure we weren't hitting the same notes with him too much. Because you know, when you have a character that's so vapid, um, and you're drawing a lot of the humor from that vapidness, um, it, it can get a little repetitive. So, like, you know, there's a lot. Joe is just so. He would come up with so many weird stumbles and bad turns of phrase and stuff. And we just love them so much. And, you know, our first cut of the movie probably had way too many of them. You know, we really had to rein in his stumbles and his weird phrasing um, just so that you could watch the movie without kind of losing your mind. Um, but, yeah, it was also content. I mean, the movie in an initial conception was pretty much a pure purely linear live stream we didn't want to do any even pre-lapping between scenes like we were trying to make everything really like this is happening and then we cut and then the next thing happens we wanted it to feel like a cut up twitch stream or something um but we kind of realized that was super limiting and super exhausting pretty early on so like the first thing we did was we added a montage at the beginning of the movie that was constructed with all this footage that um they had shot both as kind of rehearsal to get help joe get into the character and also stuff that they had just shot on set sort of as like maybe we'll use this maybe who knows like we're in the room that we dressed as is a bedroom why not you know do some extra stuff um so and joe just there's like so much footage of him just doing fake youtube videos i mean it's the amount of stuff that will be on the you know unreleased or whatever you un the bonus, the bonus features i mean it'll be uh there's yeah he's amazing but so we put put together a thing of that to, to introduce him because we just the introduction that was in in terms of the live stream was just too sort of like, okay, what, who is this guy? Like, is he supposed to actually have fans? Is the movie telling us that this person is a successful influencer? And what does that say about these filmmakers? Are they insane? So we had to sort of, sort of give it away that he was this bumbling, struggling guy. We'll be back in a moment with more of my interview from Benjamin Moses Smith. I'm really excited to have Ncrawl as a sponsor. If you've ever been through the end credits process and final post, you already know why someone had to create this product. What's interesting though is how they went about it. Their cloud render engine turns around preview renders in minutes and 2K and 4K renders in about half an hour. The Ncrawl render engine is on demand 24-7 so even if you're in a late night editing session, you can sign into your project, fix that typo and add that late breaking special thanks and with one click get your new render fast. 
And here's the best part, renders are unlimited. Ncrawl has a freemium tier and they offer free personal demo projects to all working industry professionals. Right now there's actually a wait list, but if you sign up now with our special link, you can jump to the front of the line. That's ncrawl.com slash AOTC. Again, that's ncrawl.com slash AOTC. And now back to my interview with Spree Editor Benjamin Smith. You know, most films you've got, oh, scene one, scene two, and I'll put the footage in scene one, and that's it. And this sounds like that wasn't that. Yeah, well, we did have scene numbers. <laughs> um, and... There was there there was there was actually a scene in the movie where a lot of this stuff was maybe going to be used for where we sort of it was it was actually originally like halfway through the movie you were going to see more of his social media world, um, so those things were labeled. But then of course there was all this random social media and we just organized it as best we could. I mean I didn't have an assistant while we were editing. Um, I had a great assistant while we were in production, but we didn't, unfortunately, we couldn't afford him for the whole show. So, um, it definitely got a bit out of control, (laughs) I would say, but you know, for the most part, you just have a folder that's social media vids or something and you leave it at that. Have you, uh, edited in other NLEs before and why was Premiere chosen for this one? Yeah. I mean, I'm an avid user for sure. Uh, I grew up using Final Cut Pro 7. Um, so Premiere, you know, fits some of my instincts as far as that goes. Um, but I, I'm now, like, I love using Avid, but it just, because I only was going to have one assistant at the beginning and because um, of the nature of needing to bring in all of this, I knew we were, no matter what happened, I knew we were going to be constantly pulling stuff and grabbing YouTube videos and, you know, Eugene was going to send me stuff from his phone and, you know, whatever. We also have this whole comment layer, which is a whole other discussion, but that was easier to deal with in Premiere, um, I felt like. And then one th- one thing I hadn't really thought about until we got into it, but the, the sort of multi-format nature of all these multi-clips... I think it would have been a nightmare in Avid because we had all these different rasters. We had like 4.3 and 16 by 9, and then we had the phones that were 9 by 16. And, uh, you know, all these things were grouped together. Yeah, and, so, and it does, Avid does not deal well with that, no, for sure. No, So And different frame rates even, which was probably a bit reckless, but <laughs> mostly worked out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so in Premiere I could like, because the whole movie is a not the whole movie, but a lot of it is a split screen format. So I could set the phone in the, in its right position in the frame, like in the multi-clip. So you know, didn't have to worry about placing it every time we changed it or something. So by multi-clips, are you talking about like the car was outfitted with multiple cameras? Yes. Yeah, so the car had, was running eight GoPros at all times. So the bulk of the movie was that, but then a large portion of the movie also included at least one iPhone. There are scenes that have two phones at the same time and the GoPros running, and then there's security cameras. There's a scene with police body cameras. I mean, and we shot on about 30 different formats or something like that. And you mentioned the commentary. I think anybody that's listening and understands social media would go, well, what's the feedback from the people watching? So tell me a little bit about that and how that was better in Premiere. 
I'm just not a big fan of Avid's text tools. Um, <laughs> they're okay, but they're a what, little clunky. What a radical <laughs> idea. Like that, to have that kind of an opinion is stunning to me. Well, there you go. Original <laughs> opinions from me. But uh, yeah, I mean, I knew we were going to need to temp in a lot of comments just to even have an idea of what was happening. And Eugene really... I mean, he wasn't, he didn't accept those sort of temp comment things for very long. I mean, we got, we started putting in fully animated or at least partly animated, um, you know, After Effects templates of the commenters pretty early in the edit. And it was, I mean, it was really helpful because we just had no idea how distracting they were going to be. And, you know, the first time we watched the movie with comments, we were all just reading them the whole time. We were like, is anybody going to be able to pay attention to this? But I think we pretty quickly realized that they weren't actually that distracting. I mean, I'm sure for some people, maybe for older people, it's very overwhelming. But I think uh, people of my generation and younger don't have too much. They're, they're used to seeing all of that stuff. So you can kind of like check in on it when you feel like it and not check in on it when you don't need to um but really that eugene just he stayed up every night after we would work and crafted this really incredible like whole other narrative of the film i mean there's characters in the chat and they respond to everything that happens i mean the guy yeah he really did an amazing job and did you guys get that from like a, a template like a a motion graphics template and then drop that or well, something more the the Instagram custom. ones are pretty much copied um, but the there was a whole made up sort of twitch like app called Livefly and it was actually sort of a three step process it was designed by a guy called Teddy Blanks who's an incredible graphic designer he does a lot of titles and he so he did layouts for us he's done he did like the nerve layouts and a few he's done a few other sort of app design and then we had a second guy who sort of templated the animation and did added all the animated elements to teddy's um design design. and then uh there was a third guy trevor clifford did all the animating and hard work with eugene of timing out everything and getting all everybody's little avatar in and everybody's name the right color and all that yeah, so I can imagine uh, as an Avid editor how what a pain in the butt that would be in, in Avid for sure. Yeah, it would have been impossible, I think. And also Eugene um, is, you know, he likes working with Premiere. He's never cut on Avid. So, you know, he's he's very hands-on, especially when it comes to that sort of thing. And was that a part of the decision of going with Premiere? Or yeah, how, yeah, you know? a bit. I mean, I don't think I would have chosen anything different, but I don't think I, Eugene would not have been happy if, I told him I wanted to cut an Avid. Got it. Um, talk to me about temp music for a project like this. Um, what did you use, and what, or what kind of was there diegetic music? Well, initially, that's all we wanted to use was di- we, everything was supposed to be Kurt's music in the car and sourced music. Um, and you know, I think the final score has that vibe. I think you get the sense of that, but eventually we had to open it up and um, bring in some more scory stuff. You just needed a break because Kurt's music was supposed to be terrible. And you just, you can't, 
listen to that for 90 minutes. You can't just have everything scored by this like incredibly irritating, bad sort of garage band stuff. And um, that was a tough thing to figure out. That was probably one of the most difficult things for the whole feature. Um, yeah, we eventually decided just to we just pulled stuff from soundtracks. And, so the the so temp diegetic. What was what were some of the choices there? Oh, the the temp diegetic stuff was all came from uh, James Ferraro, who's like a experimental musician, a very popular one that Eugene knows, and he he um, provided a bunch of really like incredible stuff that we were using, but it was just kind of too annoying and not really. He's not a composer, so it wasn't. It had to be. Our, our mixer used the term "scores." It had to be source uh, and score at the same time. And, you know, he needed some help with that. So we got another uh, composer whose name is Mason, who took a lot of James's work and kind of, you know, designed it around our what we really needed. When you get... Uh... You know, you had a. You said you're an assistant during production, right? Yeah, so there's they were they were putting stuff in bins for you and yeah, importing Justin, stuff. He he came up with all these insane ways of trying to figure out how to sync everything because, I mean, so GoPros when you shoot a 30 minute video on a GoPro, it comes in a bunch of clip segments, and they drift and they drift randomly. It's not like they're drifting. You know, they just drop frames sometimes. So every camera loses sync in a different way over the course of a 30-minute clip. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was just crazy. The other thing is all these iPhones, sometimes you had three actors in the car and they all have a phone and none of them are paying attention to your slate or something. They're just, like, hitting the record button and they're losing takes. And, uh, you know, he just had to figure out how they fit into these groups. I mean, it was a really painstaking process. And how was it organized? So when you, and, and how was it organized? And then the next question is, when you opened up a bin for scene number seven, mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. did you do? What do you do? Select well, rules or what? Yeah, yeah. So I started out just marking everything. I mean, so most scenes, we probably had three takes at most. Um, and, you know, because they were long long rolls and they would just basically drive around a loop for 30 minutes and then maybe they'd break for you know a little while and do it again so yeah most of my bins looked like very small but and then I had I started out with lots of marks and eventually just realized not pretty quickly realized that wasn't going to cut it so we yeah we put together select selects reels that you know included they weren't really selects. I mean, they were literally everything piled up. Like they're pileups, really. So like, broken down pretty finely, um, uh, beat by beat, but almost line by line. Um, we didn't do that for every scene, but definitely the more elaborate ones, we we felt like we had to because continuity was also such a crazy thing in this movie. I mean, we had nowhere to hide, and the car is moving faster, or it's moving slower, or the lights is changing in the car outside the car um they're turning they're stopping like all those things you know we were really freaked out about for a while but we kind of started to realize that we could get away with most of it like it wasn't actually that important but there's still the the actor's continuity was was tough to hide from 
how did you use those select once you had the selects or mashup or whatever uh-huh. who, who, did you use like the pancake timeline thing to be able to make an edit or how did how did you the, I don't know about the pancake timeline I'll, I'll, I'll have to show you it's a great thing you would have yeah. loved using it yeah, on this maybe movie so. um, uh, what did you do to be able to well, get your selects into a, into a scene? Well, we would, um, you know, we sometimes I'll move stuff up and down tracks to just sort of be like, okay, these are the ones that are candidates at least. Um, and then, you know, I just copy and paste them from there usually. I mean, sometimes I'll match back and, you know, do like a three-point edit kind of thing. Um, definitely a lot of matching back whatever occurred to me in the moment you know like whatever seemed like was gonna work the fastest i suppose and uh sometimes it depends on like what angle you're already set up in in the selects timeline but yeah all of the above really great uh thank you so much for talking to me it was a really interesting conversation and um I look forward to seeing the film. I think I'm going to see it tonight. I hope you will. It's it's a wild one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Art of the Cuts Voices from Sundance podcast. Also, check out ProVideoCoalition.com for more than 200 interviews with the world's top editors. Or read the book, Art of the Cut, Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a Topic-Driven, Curated Experience. And be sure to check out my podcast of interviews with some of the world's top editors on my regular Art of the Cut podcast. Thanks again to my guest, Benjamin Moses-Smith. I'm Steve Hallfish. If this is a podcast you got something out of, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Steve Also subscribe to this podcast and make sure to tell a filmmaking or film-loving friend. <laughs>